Our gospel today takes place immediately after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And we are told that many came to believe in him as a result of this miracle. Many, but not all. Some go to the Pharisees uh, and, and tell them what Jesus had just done. And how do the Pharisees and chief priests respond? Our gospel tells us that they convened the Sanhedrin and said, what are we going to do? This man is performing signs. If we leave him alone, all will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our land and our nation. Now this gospel we have today, it's a long gospel and there is a lot we could meditate on here. But I want to focus on the, the unbelief of the chief priests and the Pharisees because it's always been interesting, surprising to me. Right now, first off, they clearly don't believe when they hear that Jesus, uh, they don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. When they hear the report that he raised a man, Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead and buried in the tomb for four days. They're, they're not really swayed by that because they still refer to Jesus as, quote, this man, which again, that's technically true. Jesus is truly a man. But the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is a man is, was visibly obvious to anyone with eyes to see. However, the fact that he wasn't merely a man, that he is true man and true God, was not obvious to the human eyes. So this is why Jesus worked his miracles so plainly, uh, to show that he is who he says he is. And we talked about this yesterday. We talked about how the signs Jesus worked, his miracles, are motives of credibility, reasons for believing he is who he says he is. So here is the preeminent miracle, the greatest sign up to this point that Jesus is both the long-awaited Messiah and the second person the Most Holy Trinity made man, that he's true God and true man. And some don't believe. Not only that, those who are most schooled in the law, most schooled in the prophecies Christ is fulfilling in every single miracle, don't believe when they receive eyewitness testimony of his latest and greatest miracle. Why? Why? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas says the root of their unbelief is that they fear the losses which would follow. In particular, they feared two things. First, they feared they would lose their position of spiritual leadership. They would lose their place of prestige in a deeply religious society. Aquinas comments on this that it was because of their ambition that they back away from salvation. And because of their position, they took others with themselves. Others followed them because they were the spiritual leadership of the time. Secondly, the Pharisees and chief priests, they feared the loss of temporal possessions. Temporal refers to anything that lasts only for a time. It's the opposite of eternal. So it's used often to refer to things of this world rather than the next. They feared the loss of temporal goods. How so? Well, they basically say uh, if everyone believed in Christ, um, that would be a problem, right? The Romans would come and take away their nation, uh, their temple, their city. Why? Would the Romans do that? Well, if the people believed in Christ, they would proclaim him king. If Christ was proclaimed king, it would be without Roman assent, and the empire would interpret it as an act of rebellion. Then the Romans would come and destroy their city and nation. In short, they feared the loss of their prestigious positions, and they feared the loss of temporal things, their, their comfortable political arrangement, the temple, their, their city and comfortable life. Interestingly, what they feared most ended up happening in the end. In 70 AD, within a generation of the events of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the Romans come, lay siege to the city, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, 
Not one stone is left upon another. They end Israel as a nation within the empire. And eventually they exile virtually all Jews from the promised land. A substantial Jewish population would not return to the promised land until after the Second World War. What are we to make of all this, though? And I think, I, I, I think the, the warning and the unbelief of the Pharisees and the chief priests is this. If we allow the fear of temporal losses to control us, it will be deadly to our spiritual life. And we live in a time where fear of temporal losses has gripped much of the world. You know, our modern world clearly prioritizes economic and physical well-being as ultimate goods. Don't get me wrong. Economic and physical well-being are good things. It's okay to want to be physically healthy and to be, you know, financially secure. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing to want that. But to treat them as ultimate goods is simply not in accord with reality. Man is not made for bread alone, right? Man does not live on bread alone. We are made for more than economic and physical well-being. And this coronavirus has really laid this bare because it threatens both economic and physical well-being. And if we allow fear over economic losses, fear over loss of physical health, if we allow that fear to control us, it can take us far from the Lord. And we need to keep things in perspective. Yes, what is happening is terrible. Yes, we ought to take every prudent and reasonable precaution to protect ourselves and others. Yet, there is only one ultimate and final good. To come to know and love God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To know and love God in this life and to be happy with him in the next. All right? So when tempted to fear, when tempted to fear uh, the losses of temporal goods, uh, let us turn to our Lord in simplicity of heart and pray, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you.